How's that? Much better. All right, spitting distance achieved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are our God. Lord, thank you that you are the one who makes us fishers of men. Thank you, Lord God, that you would even use us to serve you and to tell others of your kingdom. And Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, Father, I want to pray for wisdom. Lord, so often we come to church and, and we've had busy weeks and we've got things on our minds and we're thinking about what has to be done tomorrow. We're worrying about family. Lord, all these things we bring with us this morning as we sit and we wait on you. Lord, I pray that, that your word this morning would speak into our lives. Father, I pray that you would give us some hope. Lord, I pray that you would give us some insight into ourselves. But more, Lord, I pray that you would give us an insight into who you are and into who you are for us. So, Lord, this passage that we've read, we bring before you now. Would you speak to us? Amen. I don't know if you saw when you walked in this morning, uh, there was a sign up. Who, who can tell me what the sign said as you came in? What's the topic for today? Oh, depraved much? Uh, I, I wonder, what, what would you say is a definition of depravity? Anyone? You're going to have to talk for this one. What does it mean to be depraved? You've hit absolute rock bottom. Anyone else? You ever known a depraved person? Morally destitute. Sorry? Lawlessness. No moral compass. Lower than a cockroach in a sewer. I like that. So, so when we think of people, we, we think of depraved people. We think of uh, pedophiles. Depraved peoples. We think of, who else? People who beat their wives up. Depraved? I mean, we, we can go on. Serial murderers? Depraved. And they're horrible people. I, I, I like that one. Worse than a cockroach in a sewer. And not a nice clean sewer either. Well, this morning, we're looking at what depravity really is. Uh, and you might say, oh, Nick, we've started Romans, beginning of the month, and every week it's just been, oh, sin this, and oh, the people have rejected God in chapter 1. Wasn't that a great sermon from Daniel? But, but oh, horrible stuff, we've rejected God. And then, and then we came along and we looked and we said, oh, no, even the people who think they're good are rotten. And now you're coming this morning, and it's again, it's depravity. And it's this, oh, this horrible list of, a uh, uh, description of what it is to be a sinner in the sight of God. Well, there's good news uh, here. What, what Paul has been doing in the first three chapters of Romans, uh, it, think of ourselves as being in a celestial courthouse. And what Paul has been doing in chapters 1, 2, 3 is painting the picture for the prosecution. 
and it's been getting darker and darker and darker. Paul has been saying again and again and again, there is no hope for any human to stand before God who is righteous and just and true. And the good news is that uh, in chapter 21, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, which we'll get to next week (laughs) and we'll touch on today, we start seeing the good news. Because I love the way Paul does this. If, if you see the blackness of our condition, the light is so much more light, if that were possible. So what have we got so far? Paul has, while well, he's exposed all people as being in rebellion against, against God, he's exposed the moralizers, he's exposed the hypocrites, He's exposed those who just love doing evil. And he draws the case together right here in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, shall we conclude that the Jews who have the word of God, are they any better? Uh, If you get a chance this afternoon, read through chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 8, where Paul looks at that and he says, actually, you know what? The Jewish people, though they have the word of God, and though they have some advantage that they know God's word, are just as bad as everyone else. So what does he say? Is there any advantage? Not on your life. Never. Because all are under sin. One of, my, one of my favorite books is The Lord of the Rings. Just anyone read the book, watch the movie? And great character is Schmeagol. You all know Schmeagol. Schmeagol, otherwise known as Gollum. Now, poor old Gollum, what, what makes him a great character is that he is a, a person who is under the influence of evil. His whole life has been twisted and corrupted. We're told, I think, in the second or third book that he was once upon a time a normal, nice, friendly person out fishing with his mates when he finds the ring and it corrupts him. And he can't live without it. Everything he does is for the sake of it. He he tries to do good, but the hold of evil on him is just too strong. And if we read through the book of Romans, Paul tells us that that sin is exactly like that. It is a power that holds us under itself. Paul says in chapter 5 that that sin is is something which is reigning in the world. We're we're told in chapter 6 that that sin enslaves us. We're told in chapter 6 again that, that sin rules over us, that it exercises lordship over us. 3 verse 9, we have already made the charge that everyone is under sin. You know, if we want to say, what is it which unites all of humanity? Isn't it this one thing? For all sin and fall short of the glory of God?
we can't escape. A- another movie reference, if I may be allowed, is uh, Matrix. Pathetic movie, but interesting. <laughs> uh, and uh, if you've seen it, you'll know that, that people are stuck in a world and they cannot escape. And they just cannot escape unless somebody shows them. So what does it look like to be under the yoke of sin, to be enslaved to sin? Well, Paul gives us this this explanation in verses 10 to 18. And and what he's done there is he's taken a list of Old Testament quotations, uh, all of them except one from the Psalms, and he's gone through and he says, right, let us see what does it mean to be under the yoke of sin? What does it look like? for humanity to be there unrighteous. He starts off, he says, no one is righteous, not even one. Remember what we saw in the beginning, uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 18, we we saw that, that a righteousness from God has been revealed. Righteousness which is of God. Who is the righteous one? And Paul comes along and says, there is God, the righteous one. And here is humanity, the antithesis to God. If God is righteous, we are unrighteous. Oh, but I'm not that bad. No, not even one is righteous. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. No one understands, says the NIV. No one can understand. How do you understand the one who made all things, the one who is infinitely knowledgeable, the one who is above all things. How do we understand? I think Luther, in his brilliant commentary on the book of Romans, he says, you know, the problem is that we cannot understand, and that is why we need God to reveal himself to us. Because of ourselves, we have no capacity to understand him. No one, says Paul, seeks God. Ah, ah, ha, wait, ha, got him. Uh, Jesus says, if you seek after me, you will find me. Doesn't he? No one seeks after God. (laughs) If you seek after God, you will find him. Good theory. No one seeks after God. Why don't we seek after God? Because we're told that that we live in the darkness, and when we do live in the darkness, we hate the light. No one seeks God. We have turned away. Each has gone astray. And together we have become worthless. You know, if you, if you drive a car with the wheels out of alignment, you slip off the road, don't you? 
says Paul to us here, sin is like that. It's, it's, it's like our whole lives are out of alignment and we just, we, we turn away. We have become worthless. When God created all things and he looked at what he had done and he said, this is very good. This is very, very good. And he looks at us In our unrighteousness, we have become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Again, we saw last time, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 says, you know, there are some people who can do good stuff, but, but the problem, says Paul, is, is that there is no one who does good. If you go back to the original language there, it's, it's actually, there is no one who continues doing good, who makes a, a practice of doing good, who perseveres in doing good. There is no one who does good. This is what humanity looks like. Unrighteous. Unwise. Not seeking God. In fact, turning the other way. Not doing good at all. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> this is horrible. It really is horrible. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying through these first few verses from the Psalms, he's saying to us, look, everyone is sinful. I think we've got that, but he says it again. Everyone is sinful. Uh, and just the way he repeats himself, he says, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. Everybody's fallen. Everybody's turned away. Nobody. They've all together become worthless. Sin covers everyone. And it covers us totally. One of the great doctrines of the faith is the fact that we are depraved without Christ. Now, I used to think of that, and I used to say, that can't be right. I'm not like one of those people. I, I'm not a cockroach in a subsewer somewhere unpleasant. What is Paul saying? He's not saying we are as bad as we could possibly ever be. That's not what it means. I think what Romans 3 verses 9 to 20 shows us is that we are never as good as we should be. Not in any part of us. And, and you'll see there from about verse 13 onwards, he, he, he addresses every single part of the body. He goes mouth, lips, throats. Um, where does he go to? Uh, feet. Mind. All of us. Every part of us is in slavery to sin. Every part of us in slavery to sin. But you might say, oh, what on earth, Nick? This is just, it's too much. 
look, to be honest, I, I, I don't go out and I don't rush out to do violence. And, and really, I know many people whose mouths aren't full of bitterness and cursing. And I know many people who are very nice to one another. I know many people who, you speak to them, it's not like their mouths are open graves, and it's not like they're slinging poison at me when they speak. I know people, and that's not what they look like. And you're right. <laughs> Problem is that we are, are, as humans, great actors. In fact, that's one of the things that Paul says is an evidence of sin, is that when we speak, we are full of deceit. That sin has got such a powerful hold over the human race that even though we are great actors... All these things, which Paul lists here, are just bubbling under the surface. And something happens, and you can meet the nicest person who never does anything wrong, and they come across some circumstance in their life which throws them, and what happens? They lash out. With tongue, with violence, with cursing, with bitterness. Because sin is not just what we do, it's what we are. So heavy is its yoke upon us. Oh, I can't wait to get to the good news part. But this is where Paul goes. This is where we go. Verse 19. The case is presented against us. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Or to put it like the NIV, the law is given so that every mouth may be stopped. You might remember there are a few incidences in, in the New Testament where we read of people slash, uh, smashing somebody's mouth. Jesus, before the high priest, what does he do? Hits him on the mouth. To say, shut up. You have no defense. Paul, again, I believe, in, in front of the Sanhedrin. What do they do? He's busy defending himself. Bah! Hits him on the mouth and says, how dare you speak to the high priest like that? For your mouth to be closed. This, this is a, a, a legal thing which they did back then. If you were at your trial for something that you'd done wrong and you'd finished your defense, what do you do? You... Cover your mouth. You close your mouth. You have no more to say. Says Paul, as I look through the Scriptures, as I look through the law of God, as I look at humanity, as I look at what God has shown us, who we are, I see that our mouths are closed. I see that we have no more defense. I see that we cannot excuse ourselves. Because as we look through God's law, which is holy and righteous and good, 
All it shows us is how unholy and unrighteous and bad we are. Oh, okay, I've got, to give, I've got to give some good news. This is good stuff. Because you know, even while Paul is quoting these passages from the Psalms and from Isaiah, which are full of these darkness and, oh, aren't people horrible and aren't people terrible? If you look at the passages which he quotes, uh, their context hints that there is good news coming. So let, let's quickly turn. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 3 says, All have turned away, all have become useless. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 14. Psalm chapter 14. Brilliant psalm. Uh, The quotation comes from Psalm 14 verse 2. But listen how Psalm 14 ends in verse 7. It says, God will come from Mount Zion to... Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores His people, Jacob will shout for joy. Aren't people horrible and terrible? God is coming to restore His people. Uh, Verse 13 is quoted from Psalm 5 verse 9. Turn there with us. Psalm 5 verse 9. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. But have a look at chapter 5, Psalm 5 verse 8. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. Verse 11, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, Lord, that all who love you will be filled with joy. Psalm 13, the second half, comes from, um, verse 13, the second half, comes from Psalm 140, uh, verse 3. What does it say there? It says there, their tongues sting like a snake. But look at verse 12 of Psalm 40. Let me read it for you. He says, I know the Lord will help those they persecute. He will give justice to the poor. Again, Psalm, uh, verse 14 is quoted, uh, Psalm 10, verse 7. Sorry, we're shifting around really quickly. Psalm 10, verse 7 says, Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats, trouble and evil on the tips of their tongues. But listen to verse 14 of Psalm 10. You see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and you punish them. Psalm 10. Yes, there is. <laughs> Unless my Bible's different. Psalm 10, verse 14. You, the helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord is king forever and ever. Verse 18 comes from Psalm 36. Verse 1. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. But listen to Psalm 36 verse 5. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. uh, You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them with the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. 
Uh, if you look at, at verse 17 from, Psalm 50, uh, from Isaiah 59, verse 7, it is the most amazing context. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 59, just turn there. Last one we'll look at. Isaiah 59, verse 7, our quotation, their feet run to do evil, they rush to commit murder. They think only about sinning, misery and destruction. Always follow them. And Paul, as he's quoting all of these things, knows the context. Yes, humanity is horrible and terrible and evil. But boy, isn't God great. Isaiah 59, verse 16. Uh, Sorry, yeah, verse 16. God was amazed that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on the righteousness as his body armor, placed the helmet of salvation on his head, clothed himself with a robe of vengeance, and wrapped himself in the cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. I suspect the people who first read the book of Romans would have known the context of the quotes in which he was was stringing together there. And this is why Paul says in Romans 3 verse 21 that a righteousness has been revealed that is from God. I've closed my Bible. I'll give you the Nicholas authorized version. A righteousness that is from God which the law, no, here it is, Now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. A righteousness from God that is not under the law, but to which the law testifies. You see, the law shows us how bad we are. The law shows us that by ourselves we are unrighteous, unholy, bad people on whom the wrath of God will come. But in that very self-same law, sort of the next breath, is God saying, and yet, and yet I will save, and yet I will redeem, and yet I will restore, and yet I will come. That's fantastic. And we'll spend some more time on that next week because it's just absolutely fantastic. Next week's going to be a a happy sermon, (laughs) a good sermon. What do we take home from today? A couple of things. First off, we need to remember that of ourselves, we are never as good as we ought to be. 
but that Christ is always good. John Newton, and we shared this at Bible study uh, on Tuesday. John Newton said, two things I know. One, I am a very great sinner. Two, I have a very great Savior. The other thing, which ties in with what Kevin said, I don't know about you, but I am just thrilled to know that God has saved me. And we know people whose mouths on the day when Jesus returns will be stopped up. Who will be without excuse. Let we who have had our mouths opened with the good news share the solution which Christ has given us with them. Amen.